Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So we've made it to the heady heights of the... No, I've gone again. Yeah. I've gone again. No. Yes. Back. Forward. Move. No, just don't move, Keir. Don't. don't. Nope. Touch nothing. Stop it. Don't move a muscle. Stop it. Stick to it. I want to make it clear we are very nice to our junior staff. We just got one hanging out the window with an aerial attached to her head at the moment just to make sure we can carry on podcasting. But yep. she doesn't mind. She's young and enthusiastic. Uh, where were we? Oh, yes. So so the the Telegraph... The Daily Telegraph. We often quote them, <laughs> don't we? <laughs> is doing quite a long piece about uh, bad exits. From the BBC? Yeah. Yeah, OK. Uh, Radio 4 seemed baffled by the popularity of Jane Garvey and Feet Lover. Well, to be fair, they weren't the only ones who were baffled. Blindsided when they both left the Times Radio last year, even though any listener could have told the BBC what made them great. Oh, read that bit out again. Uh, Both are funny, clever and appeal particularly to people over 40. Oh, miss out the last bit, but read it out again. (laughs) Clever, funny and appeal to people. That's all we need to say. (laughs) Not that we don't in any way welcome the over 40s. No. And I'm reading this out because we're very much hoping that Ken Bruce is going to come on the programme sometime this week. I've been in a high state of drama oh, as been, to whether or not... Are you liaising with Ken or his people? I'm liaising with Ken. And come in, Ken, please, because we'd very yes. much like to talk to you. Yeah, so would. hopefully that might happen tomorrow or sometime later on during the week. Good. You never got to go on Popmaster. I always no, thought you I, would have done quite a good celebrity I, children in need popmaster. I don't think I'd have been any good up against the clock. I mean, I rate myself for some general knowledge questions, but not at speed. And I think music, I think, you know, I kind of know them, but only after the person's come up with the right answer. Yeah. And there were some quite obscure popmaster questions, weren't oh there? Oh, my word. You know, the intro to a 1980s dance classic that got as far as number 17 in the, you know, I wouldn't know. I yeah. wouldn't know any of that stuff. But it is going to Greatest Hits Radio with Ken, isn't taking it? it with him. Because yep. very, very so. sensibly, he copyrighted it way back when. But if we'd had a really great idea, we could have copyrighted it. I always say to my kids, don't faff I mean, just invent an app. You're just sitting there. For God's sake, why can't you just invent an app? So me and my son thought we had a fantastic idea when he was in his football playing days of creating a football boot that was joined to a sock. Because 
trying to get shin pads on. You know, oh, yeah. a football sock is an incredibly tight. tight. It's like a surgical stocking. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the young guys and girls, when they're playing football, their shin pads always just fell down their socks and then yeah. you'd have to stop the game because one of them got hurt, all that kind of stuff. So we thought you could have a shoe sock, a shock, that you just zipped up the back mm. that had the shin pad inside it. And? So it was just like a boot that you put on. Yeah. Well, I wanted to give up work, obviously, and develop it. This and had you got a name for it? The Shock. Oh, yes, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do pay attention. <laughs> Key in. You're being paid. Key in for now. Yeah. Switch off as soon as I leave the room. Mm. Uh, but we never got round to it. But that's how I was going to make my fortune. But it's one of many ideas that you just look at askance at me, including I thought my best idea ever, Jane, was the uh, the she we truck that would just drive round the west end of London allowing women to avoid the queues in intervals when they're at musical theatre. Oh, so it could just park up outside. Yeah, yep. and you could just, you know, dash in and have an extra kind of 30 stalls inside it. I thought that was genius. Talking of weeing, I was doing an Empowering Women event on Thursday night. Straight How after did that go? Straight after, well, it was young women, young women in the media going into the media or wanted to go into the media. But one of the other contributors, I won't name her in case she didn't, she doesn't want publicity for having gone there. She was very good of her to give up her time, but she was only in her 20s and, and she'd just gone back from Ukraine as a war reporter. And she was saying that um, it's a genuine issue in war zones because the men just pee anywhere. Yeah. And for women, it's yet another of those situations where, quite frankly, you just have to do it where you can. And, of course, there's a lot of landmines, so it's incredibly difficult. Um, and shiwis, I don't think they really... They're not... Unless you're wearing a skirt, the shiwi isn't really a solution, is it? No, because you've still got to take off... You'd have to take off yeah, your trousers. Exactly. And, and who yeah, doesn't... And I mean, unless yeah. I haven't been to a war zone, but if I ever did go to one, I would definitely wear wear trousers and not a skirt. Jane, I think that's one of the most sensible things you've ever said. Thank you. Yeah, but it got me thinking because I just, you know, you just forget sometimes about the practicalities of that sort of journalism. And I just, I just thought that's a really interesting insight. Yeah. So um, I've always thought as well about periods in uh, for foreign correspondence. Yeah, it's just if you're, a nuisance, aren't they? you know, stuck somewhere in the middle of nowhere and you can't get out, or you're an embed, as mm. they call them, an yeah. embedded journalist. Actually, just going through. A really yucky period must be so hampering to yeah. your daily job. I wonder in a situation like that where you would just be better off just taking the pill every day so you don't even have to think about it. Yes. I hope that becomes a thing in the next generation's lifetime because there's increasing medical evidence uh, that that... Uh, that you well, don't have to have periods, no, you don't have to have periods for your good health. No, you don't. We have discussed it. But I'm just looking, interestingly, at uh, Bryony Gordon's column in The Telegraph. Second mention of The Telegraph. We must mention The Times. Times, <laughs> Times, Times. Um, but her headline in her feature, in her column, Mad World, this week, is if contraception caused cancer in men, we'd have a solution yeah. by now. Um, so there are still conversations about what contraception, hormonal contraception does to women. Um, I've just had a text saying my HRT is ready at the chemist. So, you know, <gasps> oh my god! Okay, let's down there. Let's try and do this at speed one point five. Hi, Finn Jane. If I switched on the TV at eight pm on a weekday night, I'd love to see a program about embroidery that wasn't a competition. <laughs> I know the same being all the glitters and pottery thrown down, but mine must always be a competition. Can we not just enjoy watching people enjoy crafting in the same way we love watching people watching TV on Gogglebox? Uh, thank you from Claire. And I think that's a very good point. I think there's there's just such a huge need 
on television to turn everything into a format, whereas mm. sometimes you just don't need it to be there. So case in point, is it called Race for Life when couples compete to get across a vast wilderness this season, it's Canada. Oh, is it? There are, I think, five couples. Mm. And you don't have any access to Google or a smartphone. You have, only have a certain amount of money. And they've got to get all the way from Vancouver over to St. John's on the other side of How the Canada. How far away is that? Well, that is across uh, six states, five states, oh, wow. all the way across. We've got listeners in Canada, so they'll be able to tell us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but why that has to be uh, a race... I don't really know because I was really enjoying just watching all of these couples make their decisions about how to save time and all that kind of stuff. The fact that one couple got there two minutes before the other couple, um, that's when I got up to just make myself another drink. Mm. Not really bothered about the winning. No, 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 no. It's formatting, formatting, formatting. It's not about winning for you, is it? It's just about the taking part. No, don't be mean. I just, I find that kind of... It does seem unnecessary. I find it a bit patronising to us, the viewers. Well, that's what people are saying about the BBC's sexed-up Great Expectations. Which you sat through just to make sure (laughs) that that it was sexed-up enough. (laughs) I just think... I suppose the the really big question is, why don't they... What what classic book never gets done on telly? I was racking my brains to try and think of one. Um, It is actually quite hard to think of a classic book that you genuinely love to see on television. Oh, that you'd love to see? Yeah. I think I quite... Well, just for the challenge, I think I'd quite like to see Silas Marner, because that's just a very old man's Bennett, who's going to tune in on a Sunday night for that? I tell you what, there's a there's a poster in the underground. Have you seen it? Russell Crowe. I think it's it's a new film coming out in April. I think it's called something like The Pope's Exorcist. No, something. we wouldn't have that in East London. <laughs> Russell Crowe, you know, he's looming out at you on this enormous poster, and you think, "Ooh, Russell, come round and exorcise me any time you like, pal." Have um, you seen the pictures of of the current Pope and? His white puffer jacket. I haven't. Are they available online? <laughs> they are available online. What's he doing in a puffer jacket? <laughs> well, because it's very cold. So they've made him a, a puffer pope. <laughs> puffer pope, like a quilted jacket? Yes. There were just some very, very funny captions doing the rounds this weekend. My favourite was, do not inflate your pope puffer jacket whilst inside the plane. <laughs> Anyway, do you have a look. the Pope? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Kate has written about um, learning English in another country, and she lives in France, and so she has experience of the French education system. And yes, um, like the English, the French do also ask silly questions of their pupils during oral exams, including questions about the whereabouts not of Greg's, as Jane suggested, but of a man called Brian and his sister Jenny. So these are the names chosen by the French to illustrate the average sort of British people. Um, Where is Brian? Brian is in the kitchen. And how about Jenny? The sister of Brian? Jenny is in the bathroom. Now I've become German and that's very unfortunate. (laughs) It is a refrain familiar to any French person over the age of 40 and now even to younger generations thanks to comedian Gad Al-Malay. Al-Malay? Dad Almalay, who popularised the phrase from the school textbook Speak English that was uh, prevalent throughout France in the 70s and 80s. Never a week goes by without me being asked whether I know where the elusive Brenny, Brian and Jenny have disappeared to. When I grew up in Worcestershire, like many of my generation, my French lessons revolved around the adventures of Monsieur and Madame Bertillon and their three children, Philippe, Marie-Claude and Alain. 
not forgetting Mickey Le Chat. That's the cat, isn't it? Your reference to the question, that was you, wasn't it? Oué la douane. Yes. That's the customs. Brought it all back to me. Wasn't Monsieur Bertillon a customs <laughs> officer at Orly Airport? I wonder where he is now. Happily retired, I expect, and glad he didn't have to keep checking passports until the grand old pension age of 64 in a post-Brexit era, I expect. <laughs> <laughs> But isn't that weird? That's another country that's over-focused on passport control in an attempt to teach a new language. It's a bit weird, isn't it? Because everyone's going to come across that. I get that. But it's not the place that you spend the most time at when you visit another country, unless you're very unfortunate or you're trying to smuggle. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, you tend to move smoothly through um, customs without lingering. But you're right, it is a bit weird. But I didn't do those textbooks in French, did you? They don't ring any bells with me. No. No. Do you remember the family we had to learn about in Latin? Oh, gosh, who were they? Well, they were the poor, because you knew their end was not going to be pretty, because they lived in Pompeii. Oh, so it's always kind of, oh, God. <laughs> Let's just cut to the chase. Why are we waffling about the dog when we know they're going to meet a very unpleasant That's end? That's a bit like the man who's mending his own conservatory at the beginning of an episode of Casualty. <laughs> it only ends one way, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, right, Pamela sends greetings from across the pond, listening to us in Vancouver. Uh, She says the question regarding what programme your listeners would commission has given me the chance to email you. Uh, I have even pitched it to a production company, though, with no success. Uh, Pamela says, for the last eight years, I've worked as a freelance archival researcher for documentary films and occasionally TV. Mm. I have an MA in costume studies and I've taught fashion history in New York and Montreal. All to say, I dream of creating a short series that looks looks at some of fashion's perennial favourites. Think of the striped marinière shirt. Do you like those, don't you? I do, yeah. The classic trench coat and uh, traces them back to their origins. I'd visit the Mariners Museum and the St James Factory in France and I'd share the story behind the original greatcoat, how trench coats were practical and soon fashionable in World War One, and haunt the Burberry archives to discover the trajectory of their beautiful beyond-reach-for-me coats. Uh, Pamela says, that's my dream and I'm sticking to it. Thank you for asking. It feels great to put this down in writing uh, and thank you for your audio treat. Greetings from across the pond. Well, Pamela, tell us a little bit about the distance, please, between uh, Vancouver and St John's yes. and you will remain a friend for life. Mm. That's a good idea for a TV show, that. Well, I mean, that's a really good idea. But unfortunately, she doesn't have the ins that Tony Robinson had. No, but maybe we could lean on Tony. Mm. Um, he's not much bigger than either of us, is he? So we probably could. Um, Lydia says, just a, a quick note uh, to share something that I believe you will both find to be of great importance. Last year we had, of course, the platy jubes. So I would like to propose the Corrie Bobs, e.g. what are you doing for the old Corrie Bobs? Probably having a barbie in the garden while trying not to think about the cosy lives. That's the cost of living crisis, suggests Lydia. Yes, I mean, it's a bold attempt at patriotic fervour, uh, Lydia, but um, I'm not sensing a lot of chat around the... Shall we call it... Shall we go for it and call it the Corrie Bobs? The Corrie Bobs. Yeah. I think uh, I've heard absolutely no chat at all. You and I are desperately <laughs> trying to get a, We're talking about a, a place on the, on the yeah. balcony somewhere uh, in order to be able to identify 
hats, basically, walking into a church. Yeah, well, we'd love to do it, but I'm not sensing... I don't think we're having a street party, at least... I'm not organising it. I'm There's not, not one in my hood either. No, but uh, you're, you live in a very alternative part of the world. No, but that's the interesting thing because in our on our local street mm. uh, there has been a celebration, an East End Knees Up celebration of all of the weddings of the royals mm. and the coronation, uh, the uh, the funeral. Sorry, it's very bad. You had a street party for the funeral, did you? <laughs> No, there's a commemoration. A commemoration. Uh, so, uh, so no people in in the East End feel uh, quite a lot of fervour. Someone gets out a, a piano mm. and everybody sings along. Yeah, people Joanna. Coming, yep. <laughs> people come along all dressed up, pearly kings and queens. They're walking with their thumbs tucked into their waistcoats. And then the craze. Then nope. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. It's not like that at all. Well, uh, can I just do a serious one before we head off into the proper guest that we've oh, yes, got? Go uh, this is from Helen. Uh, who says, I listened to your episode when you talked about the seemingly endless ways the media find to guilt parents about how particular aspects of their parenting are irrevocably damaging their child. And I recall being very guilty about my front-facing buggy. I found other wonder parents also brought into this and tutted at my choice. I was lucky enough to be able to breastfeed my two kids, now 14 and 9, and like Fee and her EastEnders addiction, I found I had to read to have a fighting chance of staying awake. I got through a small library of books with my daughter. When my son was born, a health visitor told me that I mustn't read, as it meant my child wasn't getting eye contact from me which would lead to untold future attachment issues I apparently had to gaze adoringly at the guzzling infant at all times just in case after two nights of this fighting off drooping eyelids I decided it was bollocks and carried on with my Kindle you'll be glad to know he survived any attachment issues yet to manifest themselves can be attributed to my multiple parenting fails since that point Parenting is hard enough without front-facing buggy guilt, FFS. And that's exactly what we were talking about, Helen. It's just out of proportion. It's unhelpful. It's unwise. It's unfounded. Just don't. Don't fall for it. No, don't. Um, Fiona, who describes herself as another one, because you you did mention breastfeeding, so it's given me the opportunity to include this email. Um, It was about, you were talking last week about the rather (laughs) eccentric things your dad would put into jelly at home. Yeah. And uh, Fiona says, I've got fond memories of our 1970s pale blue bunny mould. Orange jelly was my favourite. I have to say, the thought of lime jelly with tinned peas or tuna did sound quite vile. Well, my mum used to make something she called ooby pudding. Pink blancmange set in two of those shallow Tupperware bowls and topped with half a glacé cherry on each. She would present it to us with a sing-song wibbly-wobbly-booby pudding. It was very progressive. (laughs) Um, Fiona's in Adelaide. Well, there we are. That's Australia for you. Um, I don't really really know what to say about that. Was your mother a feminist? (laughs) Was she just an early embracer of the whole... Free Yourself movement. (laughs) Who knows? Uh, Our big interview today was with award-winning investigative journalist and author Paul Morgan Bentley. He's head of investigations at The Times. He broke the story that debt collectors were breaking into vulnerable people's homes. But that isn't why he came into the studio to talk to us today. Uh, He came in because he's written a book called The Equal Parent. His son, Solly, was born in 2020 via a surrogate to him and his husband, Robin. And he wanted to ask the question, 
and you really share the parental load. Uh, we were really interested by this book, weren't we? Because basically, as a gay couple, mm. they have taken away the gender prejudice and discrimination that uh, often occurs with heterosexual couples where a doctor will immediately turn to the mum, the midwife will turn to the mum, uh, a school will phone the mum. Always. Yeah. Always those things. And so they've been able to look at the world of early years parenting uh, with completely different goggles on, actually. Yes, I, I have to say, I was, if I'm honest, I was rather jealous of that first night that they got to spend with their newborn son when the two of them were in a room at the hospital, just being with their newborn baby. And, of course, this I mean, is a ridiculous observation, but because they hadn't been through the birth process, because the, the surrogate mother had given birth, they were physically able to be in the moment and to have these very precious time, this very precious time, with this little tiny bit of humanity. And um, that's not an experience that any woman who's given birth will ever have, is it? I'd like to hear more, actually, about people's realistic uh, first oh, kind yeah. of moments with babies because I think the the pressure on you as a new mum to have this overwhelming joyful experience uh, is a little bit too much because you're quite often really knackered you've been a bit traumatized mm. you're definitely quite frightened there's a mm. lot of cortisol terrified flooding around the place yeah. and and I found uh, I mean I was lucky you know bo both births were uh, horrendous but not traumatic births but I remember both times, actually, uh, welcoming my babies uh, into my arms uh, to be uh, bewildering. That is the only word that I would be able to find to describe that mm. moment. Mm. I think there's a lot of pressure for it to be joyful and amazing. Well, hopefully we've got to a stage now where we're just more honest about this. And we do say to, uh, to people we care about, if they're going to go through this, don't be expecting anything other than a really tough time. To yeah. be perfectly honest. And then that fades if you're yeah, lucky. Yeah, it's, it's what it not for everybody either. No. But do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? That kind of you must have skin on skin contact for an hour and you oh, must yeah, bond and it's back to the staring into the eyes thing. Yeah, it's like, it's always possible. Never kids. forget you will be leaking from orifices you didn't even know you had <laughs> and you've had no sleep for the previous 24 hours and you're getting no sleep for the next decade. Yeah, and it's um, a little bit like roadworks as well, isn't it? Loads of people standing around with their arms folded and they don't seem to be doing much but they're definitely operating and then you get the classic the person who's never breastfed telling you how to breastfeed but let's not revisit some of my trauma <laughs> let's let's move on to hear from paul morgan bentley well signposted he began by telling us the circumstances surrounding solly's birth so solly turned three on friday he was born um on the first day of the first lockdown um so wow. boris gave his stay at home speech and the next day he was born <laughs> and um and yeah, he was born through surrogacy in the UK and not many people know a lot about that, but it's it's legal in the UK to go through surrogacy, uh, but it's not legal to pay a surrogate. So it's non-commercial. And Rachel, our friend who we met through a surrogacy organisation, um, did it purely altruistically. You know, we covered expenses and things like that, but she has a family, she has a husband and two kids and just really missed being pregnant, but didn't want any more kids. And... Um, so we went through egg donation with a different woman and, and then uh, Rachel um, was the surrogate that carried our son. And you and your partner, had you discussed how you would do the care? 
No, it's funny, actually, when I speak to women, they they always talk about how before having children, how much thought will go into, well, I have to cut down hours at work and all things like that. And actually, it was really interesting and naive and ridiculous that both of us just hadn't really thought about it much. There was so much involved with trying to plan to have a family and how that yeah. would work that we kind of thought everything would fall into place afterwards. And actually, a really formative experience of ours... Um, was just how little is expected of fathers after you have children. And this was the basis for me deciding to try to write the book. Um, we kind of thought our experience would be framed by being gay parents and that lots of people would have lots of questions about being in a two-dad family and surrogacy and things like that. And actually, on a day-to-day basis, that isn't massively the case. You know, we just go through life like anyone else and we've been treated like everyone else. We don't feel exceptional or, diff- or different. But we were repeatedly finding that there was just such a low expectation of fathers generally. And and you kind of go to work naively and you look across the room and you think, oh, you know, we're getting to a good place with gender equality. The women are all taken as seriously and they work as hard. And and yet you have a kid and there is no expectation of equality at home. No, I mean, there's some very funny advice on the NHS website, isn't there? I mean, you quote it, this stuff where dad might think about making his lady wife a cup of tea if he thinks that might be helpful. And that appears to be about the most that's expected. It's extraordinary. Yeah, well, uh, one of the things, a few things were happening that were prompting these ideas for the book. Um, And one of them was during a night feed. And I'd just finished feeding Solly. He was a few months old. He was kind of on my chest and I was scrolling on my phone and I probably should have put him down, but I was kind of half asleep. And I, I was looking through advice pages on the NHS and one of them from a hospital, I just couldn't believe it. And it it essentially was saying to dads, you know, your partner, your wife might have no one else around. So, you know, she might not have her parent, her mother around, or she might not have friends around. So it's a good idea to keep in mind that you might need to help her occasionally, and maybe offer to do a a feed, or maybe take over to give her a rest occasionally. And there's no, I mean, that is an extreme example, but, but there is no expectation that this baby is born, and as two in a couple, as two adults, you should be sharing the responsibility. And that's right from the start. There's just no expectation. Right from the start. And obviously, biology is important. And obviously, if a woman is pregnant with her child, there's going to be an imbalance there. But from my point of view, as soon as that child is born, and if the mother wants to do this, wants to share the responsibility, then actually, the moment the, the baby is born, that is when dads should kick in and and be there, not just helping the mum by making her a cup of tea, but taking on proper responsibility. I was really glad that in the book you talked about that first beautiful but also terrifying night with your newborn son, when you are responsible, the two of you, for this little scrap of life, and it's just the three of you, and you you work your way through the night, both terrified that something's going to go wrong, so you might stop breathing, or, you know, something else might go pear-shaped, and it's a colossal, huge mental load, this weight of responsibility just drops onto you, and then, frankly, doesn't leave you until you take your dying breath, I imagine. And that um, is something that most women simply go through on their own, day in, day out. I hadn't really thought back to my own experience of it until I read your book, actually. And it's amazing, actually, when we think of it. If, if, you had a, if a woman had a, an accident and lost a lot of blood, 
The partner or a family member or a support in some form would be expected to be there round the clock. And yet you have a baby. And as part of the book, I did freedom of information requests and found out that the majority of hospitals in the UK treat dads or partners um, like visitors. And they're only allowed to attend during visiting hours after their children are born. In some cases, as little as one hour per day. Um, And yet the, the woman's gone through this huge thing. And actually, that's when you form your family. We were very lucky. We had solely three surrogacy and part of that involved lots of planning. Mm. And we met the head of midwifery at the trust near where Rachel, um, sorry, surrogate was, uh, lives. And we had a whole plan in place and they were amazing. And also, I guess, because we, you know, we were in a less busy part of the country, it was quite quiet. And in the end, we were given a private room. Uh, just me, Robin and Solly after he was born and Rachel was in a separate room and we could see each other whenever we wanted. She could have been with us but chose to have go to sleep and, and rest for a bit before coming back in the morning and all kind of cuddling and leaving together. Um, but it dawned on us that so many of our male friends don't get that experience and so many of our female friends have that experience but also having been, having been pregnant and giving birth or having had emergency surgery and yet they're they're left by themselves um, and that kind of sets the expectation really clearly straight away. And we are failing, aren't we, in terms uh, by comparison to other countries? Uh, I think you note that Sweden uh, does a much more kind of family-oriented thing right from the get-go, doesn't it? And actually, it pays forward in terms of reducing levels of postnatal depression, reducing all kinds of other stresses on both parents. It's a worthwhile investment, isn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of talk about skin-to-skin contact with mothers and how that encourages breastfeeding and things like that. Um, but actually, what I found out is, is sometimes when babies are born and the mother is rushed for an emergency C-section, the baby will be left in a cot in some cases instead of being given to the father to hold because skin-to-skin contact is seen kind of generally as this thing mothers do. But actually, there are studies now that show that if the mum can't do it, it's incredibly important for the baby and, and they benefit in lots of ways if they do it with someone else, talk preferably us, a father. Talk us through your crying in the night experience and the speed of response to Solly when he was upset in the middle of the night. So, so something that we found, I, I took the first part of parental leave. So I, I was off with Solly for the first six months of his life. And then my husband, Robin, took over for the second half of the year. And there's this cliche that mums wake up first. And I was waking up first and I did not know what was going on. I was furious with my husband that he was lying next to me and snoring while um, Solly was screaming. And I was waking up kind of, I felt so urgent and kind of panicky and anxious about it. And, and I kind of couldn't understand why I was responding in a different way to Robin. And actually, as part of writing the book, I, I looked into the science and there's really good science around this now, which totally kind of seems to explain what, what's usually called the mother's instinct, but also shows how dads are absolutely biologically capable of it. And there are two kind of key things that have happened in science. One is they've measured oxytocin levels, which is the bonding hormone. And mothers get rushes of that bonding hormone uh, through pregnancy and childbirth. But they've also found now that dads get their levels of oxytocin rise rise really quickly and actually so so high that they match levels of new mothers as long as they're actively involved. And that means... You know, the oxytocin goes up as they do stuff with the baby, as they hold the baby, care for the baby. It's all about kind of rolling your sleeves up and getting involved. In fact, throughout the book, you make the point that the more you do of the care, the better you get at it. It is as simple as that. And Yes, and, and as well as that being kind of common sense, actually, when scientists have looked at the body 
at the hormones that absolutely plays out. And then the other thing about waking at night is they scanned new parents' brains. Um, and there's a part of the brain that's all to do with kind of urgency and panic. And in new mothers, it's four times the size of new fathers. And that seems to explain why they wake first at night. However, they've done the same with gay dads through surrogacy. And they found that whoever the primary caregiver is, their brains look like new mothers, essentially. The, that urgency part of the brain also quadruples in size. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We were wondering, actually, Fee and I, what the reaction was when you announced to your very manly mates, I'm sure, here at Times Towers, that you were doing this thing called paternity leave. What did people say? Well, usually people are back after two weeks, and I kind of now can't even I bet it used to be two days, that. didn't it? Yeah, well, it used to be two days, exactly. Yeah. Um, the response was brilliant, and I should massively credit a colleague of mine called Tom Whipple, who's the science editor of The Times, and he, a few years before I did it, took extended parental leave. He took almost half a year. Um, and actually, it was interesting. He kind of stood out. And in a way, it's almost like the glass ceiling and, and, and women at work, but kind of countered to that. And he was brave enough to step forward and say, I think it's fair that I share this with my wife. And, and he did it. And, uh, and it was fine. And, and he carried on with his job. And he's, you know, an amazing journalist. And after he did it, it was interesting, because more and more dads started taking extended parental leave here. And so... I guess in a sense it was a brave thing to do to announce I'm taking six months off. Um, but I also did it knowing that other senior people at work had done it already. And it is so important to have visible paternity leave, isn't it? And to see men be able to return to the same position at work, uh, to know that it hasn't uh, adversely affected their career. Chris Mason at the BBC took quite an extended paternity leave, certainly longer than the two weeks that a lot of our former BBC colleagues felt able to take. And good on him for doing that. I mean, look at him. He's absolutely flying. And I think it, it is a real responsibility for men at work to be really visible about being dads and the sacrifices that should mean. Women, when they fall pregnant, they can't hide it from their employers, even if they wanted to, or their friends or everyone, because their bodies show, they, they visibly change. And so you can't kind of hide behind anything. I think men at work who become dads, it's very easy to kind of pass in a way and 
to kind of play out this idea that nothing's changed and that no expectations have changed. And so because you can kind of hide and, and if you need to leave early, you can, in theory, say things like, oh, I'm going to a client meeting or, you know, things like that. <laughs> yeah. I actually think it's more important for men to be really honest and open and men in senior positions and say, I'm leaving because I'm picking up the kids from nursery. What about generational attitudes? I wonder whether the generation above you and indeed above that, what they would make of a man prioritising childcare and being at home with a small baby. Yeah, it's interesting. You get our experience is a lot of praise. I think we we get a huge amount of praise from particularly women of a, an older generation to me who just are kind of in disbelief and, and think, wow, good on you. You're such a hands-on dad. I, w- I went to the, um, to the pharmacy this a few months ago to pick up a prescription for my son. And there was a lovely woman behind the counter who said something like, um, oh, it's so great to see dads doing this. And she meant well, but I just kept thinking, this is the very bare minimum. This isn't doing much for my blood pressure, I've got to say. But go on. You know, I'm literally, but it, it plays into that idea that men's time is more important than women's time. Mm. And that if a man is picking up a prescription, like, oh, you're taking out time from work oh, to do I know. this. Well and there's, done. there's all the kind of, oh, look, he changed a nappy, let's give him a round of applause. I mean, it just, it, it really, we should have got beyond that by now, shouldn't we? Could I just ask you, uh, Paul, because you are uh, such a good journalist, could you just put into a nutshell what the actual law around parental leave is in the UK? UK at the moment? So in the UK, we have kind of theoretical equality. We have shared parental leave. And that means you get two weeks paternity leave for a man and you get 50 weeks uh, parental leave, which usually, you know, typically it would be maternity leave, but you can legally share it however you see fit. So there's lots of flexibility. You could take kind of six months each or you could, the woman could be off at the beginning, come back to work for a bit, then take the rest of the year off. It sounds great. And actually what we've found is the, the people that benefit most from it are gay couples because we can just split it down the middle and share it like that. There's, there's much more complicated dynamics that come in when there's a woman and a man because the woman has been pregnant and given birth and, and there's all societal expectations for generations on her that means that she will take that first part of the year but also probably feel guilty if she doesn't take a full year. Because she'll be judged if she does Because doesn't. she'll be judged yeah. and feel like a bad mother. But yeah. also there is the breastfeeding thing in there as well which I think sometimes doesn't get talked about enough. You're encourage some people would say pressurized into breastfeeding for i think the you know the the guidance who guidance is for at least six months at least six months so it is difficult to then be in two places at once exactly and so it's really important to earmark that period for mothers and where where countries have done this successfully most most kind of successfully in nordic countries is by having earmarked leave for mothers and fathers. Mm. Because also dads often, they might in theory want to share parental leave, but they don't want to take the mum's time that she has always imagined herself having and don't want to feel like a bad partner by taking that from her. So what experts argue is there should be earmarked leave for mothers and earmarked leave for partners. And some ability to transfer between them if you want, but but the fathers, if they don't take their allocated leave, they just lose it. In heterosexual couples, is there a chance that some women, some mothers, do gatekeep the whole baby care, childcare thing? Perhaps think, without intending to, but they do end up... We, we end up deciding, no, I know best, he'll get it wrong, let me carry on doing it. I think it's really, really hard to, lo- to, to lessen control if you're the one that's been expected to do this. And I can't speak for mothers, obviously, I'm a man, and I don't want to, but I've listened to a lot of mothers talk about this and how hard it is to let go. But the very na- If you want to parent equally, 
you have to be able to let go in those moments and you have to be able to just trust your partner and they might do things differently to you and they might not feed them the same food you would feed but they're not the child's not going to die and actually the more your partner does it the more they'll gain confidence in it form really strong relationships and there there is this idea that with men often we kind of they get the fun side of kids they come home from work and chuck them in the air and get a bit of bonding time yeah. but you kind of need there's there's this writer Nell Frizzell who I love and she talks mm. about men needing the beast as well as the beauty of babies and, and when we talk about absent fathers actually maybe it's because they are kind of uh, they don't have that time alone with their children to feel that real sense of full responsibility and that makes it easier to leave. Mm. But don't you think also it's it's because men are excluded almost from the moment after conception from the journey of pregnancy. There is no requirement for a dad to be in the room when you're having scans or whatever. I mean, you know, you, you don't even have to turn up to the birth. So I think for many women, quite understandably, it then feels like you're kind of handing a car to the 17-year-old on their birthday without having had any driving lessons. So the answer, surely, is to just completely change the conversation around pregnancy and acknowledge the other person who's been involved in that. And I think to change the conversation about dads, I think there's this narrative in society about the kind of useless yeah, dad. Yeah, the stereotype is... The stereotype stereotype Daddy Pig, you do mention, Pig. and I'd forgotten yeah. what he's useless lummox isn't he and the whole joke about him is that he's useless and we do this to dads no matter how capable they are in other aspects of life they're going to be terrible with the kids and they're oh you're so, and, it, and it's why we get lots of praise for doing really basic things but if it, the central kind of idea of the book is that if we want equality you're never going to get equality in the workplace if at the same time you expect more of women at home and yes in the first few months of of course there's biological reasons that women are going to be there and they should be there if they want to but but long term there is no reason that the responsibility can't properly be shared really good point thank you very much indeed and um, the book is called the equal parent can we just have a quick chat about the debt collection story and about because that was it was a, a great thing that you exposed really are we certain now that it isn't happening anymore that debt collectors are not breaking into vulnerable people's homes well so this is to do with the energy suppliers and right now they are not doing it because they've been banned um it's a suspension until that they can lead they can sign up to a new legal uh, framework to protect vulnerable people um, and at the moment that's the case but what we need is long-term change and currently after our investigation there's lots of different new formal investigations going on from Ofgem the energy regulator in um, the energy department and uh, with and two parliamentary committees are also have also been looking at it and the idea now is we need to see that play out so that there's more formal long-term changes. So something is going to happen to make sure that that cannot happen in the future to people who are already really going through it. They're not going to have some strange person getting into their house and turning off their electricity and their gas. Yes, the key thing is that vulnerable people will be protected. The cases will be scrutinised properly because in the past, these cases have been signed off at court in their mm. hundreds and no one's properly scrutinising them. Everyone's had faith that the companies like British Gas are kind of doing their own checks. Yeah. What we found out is they've not been doing their own checks properly. And so that is going to be a key part of the changes. Do you worry that in becoming a visible spokesperson for equal parenting and people knowing your face, uh, you won't be able to do your investigative job quite so well? People go, oh, there's that bloke. Well, it's amazing because I've been quite kind of open on social media and things like that i use my name in the paper it's not like with insight for instance at the sunday times where traditionally they haven't had bylines um I, it never kind of ceases to amaze us how no one googles when you apply for a job so i'm certainly not planning on stopping undercover work now
<laughs> we won't blow your cover. No, Shall I mention your name again or, or not? No. Paul Morgan Bentley and his book is called The Equal Parent. And I just want to squeeze in the fact that we've had a lovely email from Ian, which has got the amazing headline, Frank Boff's wife, Nesta. I've got a lousy memory. However, I could have told you too that Nesta Boff was Frank's wife in an instant. And that's because of the smell of Reeves and Mortimer. Uh, Vic and Bob had a song that went, I've given birth to a Ford Fiesta. I've given birth to Frank Boff's wife, Nesta. Right. Okay. I didn't know that. I'm grateful. Ian, thank you for listening. Jane Rafi at Times.Radio uh, and we'll be delighted to hear from you. Anything that we're talking about, stuff we're not talking about, basically uh, just be in touch, be with us. Ken soon. <laughs> Goodbye. Well done for getting to the end of another episode of Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. And don't forget, there is even more of us every afternoon on Times Radio. It's Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5. You can pop us on when you're pottering around the house or heading out in the car on the school run. Or running a bank. Thank you for joining us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Don't be so silly. Monica Bank. I know, lady. A lady listener. I'm just sorry. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com